0: So I'm going to ask him if he will come up and uh, and give us his testimony. Let's give him a hand. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. Um, this um soldier I didn't know we. Was uh, there was a topic today, and so Jonathan called me last night and uh, asked me to give a testimony. So if a lot of people don't know, um, I'm Javon. I do this out on the back, and um, i um, from, give you a short bio about myself. <laughs> now I know how y'all feel. Um, I'm from Chicago, South Side of Chicago. I grew up there all my life. Um, I moved to outside. I was like 21. Now a lot of people don't know this. Back in the 90s, outside the Chicago period was was, to me was segregated. All the blacks stayed on the south. The whites stayed in the north. The Latinos stayed probably east, south, southwest, and um, it was very segregated. But um, a lot of people don't know this about me. But now I was younger. I grew up to not like Caucasians at all it was um I was taught that it was better than me, um, that they didn't trust me because of my skin. And um it was it was it was something I had to I took it, I went to college to what Caucasians and college was no different. Um um yeah it was no different in college. It was ninety five percent Caucasian African-American. And um, one day we had, um, in college, we had uh, the biggest thing in school was to get in a dealership, like BMW, Ferrari, Porsche. You wanted to do that. And when they came to do interviews, everyone who got the interview was Caucasian because they all had 4.0s. So when I graduated and went back because they help you look for jobs, the guy was like, well, why you didn't... Do the interview for BMW, Porsche, and all them. I said because they only want a 4.0. He said no, they want a 3.5 and 4.0s. I had a 3.5, so I was like, oh, okay. So, (laughs) so got married. Quinita is my wife. She uh, joined the army, got married, moved to the Manhattan, and I was like, oh lord. (laughs) So, so I, um, I didn't. I just kept to myself, and and um, I kept to myself. I didn't really talk to no one, and talk to nobody. And when I did see, it was funny. When I did see African Americans, I try to talk to them. They like play me way to the left. They didn't want nothing to do with me. So I was like, okay. And then um, I came to Blumont, and I was like, mm, Caucasian pastor. Mm, <laughs> yeah, he's he he don't. No. Nah. So I, I was coming to Bloomer off and on and then I got a job on Fort Riley. And for a rally we have a team and on your team they put you have to work on a vehicle. So it was only two of us, it was me and a Caucasian guy. Right, believe it or not, I made him friends right now today. And um I didn't like him one bit, not one bit until one day um, he me and him had a a, a discussion. And I come and find out we was in the same situation, and I was like, "Wow!" Then I came, then some, that that same week I came to Bluemont, and Jonathan was speaking, and I forgot what he was speaking about, but he hit me, and I was like, "Man, it doesn't matter if you're white, black, Latino. It doesn't matter at all. We all either sinners or we all don't going through the same thing." And it took a lot for me to to recognize that. And um, so I said, okay. So I said, God, you got my attention. So I started coming to the Blue Mountain Church. I started meeting different people. I met Amber. She was the first one I met. And I was like okay, she's all right. She's cool. And I met Jonathan. And it was, I am not know, it was different. <laughs> it, was, it was different. But and God, what I want to say is, God do things and put us in situations that we have no control over us. i didn't like caucasians at all not one bit and he I, I feel that god sent me here and it's like not everybody is like that whoever taught you that is wrong and that's the way we grew up and the way we was taught but i'm a sound guy here at bluemont church um majority of my friends are Caucasians and I get along with everybody and it just changed my whole view of everything that we all see. we all probably come from a different background, ethnic group I could be seeing how the same sin someone has in Afghanistan, Pakistan Africa, chi- China anywhere but God love us the way we are and it is not about skin color. So, yeah, that's all I have for today. Thank y'all.
1: All right, thanks, Javon. It's a fun, heartfelt topic we're looking at today. Not always fun, actually. And so appreciate Javon telling his story and being vulnerable and open about where he's come from and what God's done in his life and the transformation that's happened. But it doesn't, if, unless you're asleep, you know that there's a lot of tension in our culture right now about the issues of ethnicity and race. And, you know, this, this weekend is the kickoff to the NFL football season. And two weeks ago, one of the quarterbacks for the San Francisco 49ers, Colin Kaepernick, made the decision during the playing of the national anthem in a preseason football game to sit down while everybody else was standing up. And the reason he took that step was to make a statement you know, when he was questioned, to say, hey, you know what? Things are not all right in America. There are problems when it comes to issues, especially between black and white. And that flag isn't, <laughs> the reality of what that flag is supposed to represent isn't happening. And you know, I'm not going to, there's a lot of controversy, a lot of strong feelings about, about his move. The last week, he, he kneeled down. Um, instead of sitting down to show a little more respect, but still to make a statement, and, along with a teammate of his. And the, you know, all eyes are on what's going to happen tomorrow when the, when the 49ers have a Monday night football game, and who else is joining in? Other athletes have done the same thing. But there's, there's an undercurrent of, of tension and uh, uncertainty in our culture. And the, the series we're looking at is how God is enough for us He's enough for us personally. And he and his kingdom have answers for every situation, every challenge that society faces. And you know, this, this is an issue that around the world, and including in America, there's been a lot of, a lot of tension throughout history over. Today also is the 15th anniversary of, of 9-11. And, and that is certainly a, a huge event that affected our nation and the world, like few others. And there are a lot of ways we can look at that. But one of the grids of that is how people from different cultures and different ideologies had a difficult time living in the same world and getting along together and the, the repercussions of that. You know, in, in the U.S., especially when it comes to, to, to race issues, we've had Ferguson two years ago, the whole Black Lives Matter-ish, Black Lives Matter uh, cause the last couple of years. There's, and it's interesting to me that it seems like the events of the last couple of years have revealed that there was more under the surface than what many of us realize. And, and I think if we have any recognition of reality, we would say that there is a lot that has happened in a good way in, in our nation, especially when it comes to, to relationships between, between people of different cultural backgrounds and different ethnicities. Um, in, in my lifetime, my parents' lifetime, the, the Civil Rights Movement, there, it's, it's amazing how much change There has happened, there has been. In fact, at our Oregon Trail community group last week, we, we asked a discussion question. We asked, what do you most appreciate about America, or about your country? And among the Americans, there were two answers that were the most common. One was all our freedoms, and one was all the diversity. That America is a land where there's a lot of diversity. People come from different backgrounds, there are different cultures, different nations represented here. And that's something that really is one of the best things about our country. But the events of the last couple of years, I think, to me and many others have, have made it obvious that, wow, there's more under the surface, that things aren't as good as we would oftentimes hope that they could be. And this is, this is something very, uh, very close to the heart of God. And we're going to look today at what God's Word says about, about moving from just tolerance, just getting along with people, to true unification to truly a depth of relationship that is God's intention for people and what he brings about through the church. And I just want to, before I go on, I want to address a, a fact that plays into this this morning, which Javon mentioned, which is the fact that I'm white. Right? I, don't know if you, I don't know if you realize that, you know, sometimes it's hard to pick up on. But I, I am a white guy. And or as Javon said, Caucasian. Man, that was like I've never heard Caucasian used so many times as in Javon's testimony. <laughs> he's being very, very sensitive of us. Um, but I, I'm white, and we all have a perspective that comes through our experience. And the I felt a little bit bad having Javon given the testimony. Um, like, okay, we're having the black guy get up, and he's saying, "Hey, I used to be racist." And then we're having the white guy get up and say, here's the answer to all the racial problems. You know, that's there there's a whole lot that I don't get. And I but I, I want to bring a perspective from God's word. And really as the pastor of this church, I can't help the fact that I am white, but just that it's important enough that we want to address this. And but realizing that we all need to learn from one another. And and that's essential. Um, America is is increasingly diverse, which I think is a great thing. It's, I, I mean, it's great that we have the diversity we do, and it's increasing. And actually, last year, 2015, there was a pretty momentous thing that happened, is that more than half of the babies born in America were minorities. We're not Caucasian. And so, minorities are becoming the majority. A majority of babies are minorities now. And they're not white. And that's, you know, if you, there are different dates, but... People say somewhere between 2040, around there, that the, bound, the population of the US is gonna change to where the Caucasians are less than 50% of the population. And so that's a trend that is, I think is really cool, really great, but it's the world that we all have an opportunity to learn in and grow in. And now living in Manhattan, it's not quite the same. I don't know if you realize that, but Manhattan's not quite as diverse as most of America. And if you look at the numbers, Manhattan is about 83% white, about 6% Hispanic, 5.5% African American, about 5% Asian, and then there's other, other, other representation here as well. And so we live in an even more a predominantly white culture, but yet, in some ways, Manhattan's more diverse than most of Kansas is. And because of K-State, that even increases our diversity. And with K-State, there's the whole factor as well of 2,000 international students and from all over the world, which is over 100 nations. And, again, that increases the the great cultural diversity that we have here. And so, it's a a big deal. And I want to say one more thing before we look at God's word, that a lot of times, we look at ethnic relationships, and it comes down to the black-white thing, and it goes much bigger than that. You know, there's where there are a lot more ethnicities and cultures represented than that. But there is something about the black-white thing that is deeper in America than any other divide. And if we look at our history, that goes back to the the fact of slavery. And even in the US Constitution, which in many ways was was a document with so much godly wisdom and biblical principles that were put into our Constitution, and really, I think a lot of the, the blessing of our country comes from the wisdom and insight of our forefathers in, in the founding. But yet, at the same time, there is great evil even in our Constitution that slaves were, through a compromise, they, were de- they said, well, we don't, we, we don't want to count the slaves fully because we don't want to give the South more votes, but how do we do that? The South wanted them to count for representation in Congress. And so there was what was called the three-fifths compromise, where in our Constitution... Slaves, which were African Americans, were considered to be three fifths the value, or the the worth, or the, the the mathematical you know equivalent of a non-slave. And so just that, just the, this, if you can just think about how deeply that is ingrained in our culture, and really the injustice that's been done, and how really that's that's the way this works. Is that? And my my first point is how do we move from tolerance to unification? Is actually. Um, my second point, but we'll move into my first point. The first point is, to move from tolerance to unification, we have to realize that we are family. I'm not going to bust out into a song here. You know, we are, no. I'm not going to do that. But, the, every human being is a descendant of Adam and, B, Adam and Eve. We're all descendants of Noah. We all are part of the same human family. God is the father. Of all of us. And yes, there are different cultures and ethnicities. And that's part of the beauty of God's creation. And last week John talked about how different cultures bring different strengths and insights and abilities to the table. And that's a great thing. That's the way God made it. But we can easily lose sight of the fact that ultimately we are one family. In Acts 17.26, Paul was preaching and he said this. He said, he is, God has made from one blood... Every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. He has made from one or as the new King James in some translations say one blood, every nation of mankind. We are we are all one race and and I actually avoid try to avoid the word race because I think the word race actually, and I'm not being judgmental, you know, it's not usually used this way, but if you break it down, I think the idea of different races is really a racist idea. It's, it's this more of this scheme of the enemy to divide us into different categories and bring division. And, you know, there's been a, a lot of, of intelligent effort from our enemy, from the forces of evil, to bring division in between people of different cultural backgrounds and different ethnicities. In fact, if you look at, at uh, when Darwin wrote his book, The Origin of Species. The actual subtitle of his book, it was The Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. And so ingrained in that, I'm not gonna get into you know, evolution today, but ingrained in the philosophy and what has been promoted through that ideology is that there are different races and some are inferior, and some are superior. And the natural consequences of that have played out in history, most notably with with Nazi Germany, which was a direct playing out of this way of thinking, of that, hey, we're different people, we evolve differently, and some are inferior, and some are superior. And so the scheme of, of the enemy, the scheme of the devil, is to divide us and to look at us as different people instead of one people. The the second thing we need to understand to go from tolerance to real unification is to understand the division is a result of sin. I love how Javon talked about that. Ultimately, it's not this or that or this, this person's different or that, but sin is the thing that's common to all of us. We all come into this world as sinners. We all live under the power of sin before we meet Christ. And division is the result of sin. And that's been around since, since the very beginning. If you look at the beginning of human history, when the first children of Adam and Eve were Cain and Abel. And jealousy and bitterness rose up in, in Cain's heart to the place that he killed his own brother. And we've seen that pattern repeated throughout history of people that should be brothers and sisters being jealous and envious and division coming in the, in between us. We look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. I get a swig of water here. <laughs> Can you refill my water, please? <laughs> one of these was my water. Would you please refill it? <laughs> Thank you. That would be awesome. <laughs> we had a little discussion over earlier about which water was mine, but I'm sure one of those was mine and it wasn't empty. <laughs> All right. Uh, Galatians chapter five, verse nineteen, it says, "Now the works of the flesh are obvious." The works of the flesh, meaning the works of our, our sin-loving nature, the part of our, our old nature, the part of us that still wants to be selfish and live for itself. The works of the flesh are, are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. We're like, yeah, those are, those are obvious sins. Those are things we think about when we think of sin. But then the list goes on. Enmity, which means hatred, strife. Friction between people, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Look at how many of those things on that list have to do with things that bring division between relationships. That's what sin does. Sin undercuts healthy relationships. And so we have to understand that the problems in our society are a result of sin. And if you're going to deal with these problems, it's not going to be done through a government program. It's not going to be through any human effort that doesn't get to the root of the problem, which is that sin is in the heart of men and women. And we have to acknowledge that and have that dealt with to see a breakthrough. So there's the scheme of the enemy to divide us. And you know, a lot of times even we can, we can cover up the reality of what's going on in our hearts in very complex, sophisticated ways. We're really good at that. And I think even the reason I call this message from tolerance to unification is because the whole idea of tolerance is really the best that our culture can do apart from God. It's the idea of, hey, yeah, let's be multicultural and let's, let's tolerate everybody and everything. And, you know, that's better than shooting everyone and every, everything, or, you know, slavery, or a lot of other things. But, tolerance is not the full extent of God's heart for how we're supposed to live. That's like, well, you can do that, I don't really agree with it, I don't necessarily believe it, but I'm going to tolerate you doing that in your space over there, and then I've got my space over here, and then we got we're, we're segregated in different places. But God's heart is to bring us together in, in true relationship. And so, we got to realize we're family. We've got to understand divisions of result of sin. And then we, where, where the solution starts to come is we have to be reconciled to our Father and to one another through Christ. And we're going we're gonna to read a few passages this week um, in your bulletin, and it's going to be posted online today on our website and on Facebook, our reading, scripture reading plan for the week. And I really encourage you this week to meditate on these scriptures because there's so much the Bible has to say about this topic, we can, we're only just going to skim the surface, but there's so much more. But today we're going to look at the rest of our time, really mostly the scriptures from Ephesians that lay out a lot of the plan of God to bring people together as one family. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says that God has a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. There it is again. Not just to, not for us to tolerate one another, but to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, I'm just going to read this, and let's look at what it says here. It says, Don't forget that you Gentiles, that means everybody who wasn't Jewish, you used to be outsiders. And he's going to talk about the the cultural and religious division that had existed between the Jewish people, the people of Israel, and every other ethnicity. And, you know, that was a really big one. That tops about every other ethnic or racial issue in history. Because there was the sense that you had to be, if you weren't part of one nation, you were outside of God's plan. You were lost, there was no hope for you. The only way for someone to be part of God's plan, at least in the general understanding, was that you had to join a nation. And that God's people were one people, and everybody else were outsiders. And circumcision was, was a mark of that, that you were in. You were an insider versus an outsider. And so the gospel came, and one of the implications of the gospel was, no, it's not just for one people, but it's for the whole world. And so Paul's writing to people who were, they were outsiders, but talking about how God brought the two and made them become one. So he said, you were called uncircumcised ones by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. There it is again. Real unification has got to be more than external. It's got to get to the root of our hearts to really be real. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. For Christ Himself has brought peace to us. Now there was a work that Jesus did on the cross that it wasn't just a good example for us, but there was something Powerful that was affected into human history by what Jesus did. That the powers of darkness were broken by the work of Jesus on the cross. And that started by reconciling us, who were sinners, to our Father, with whom our relationship was broken. And so our relationship with the Father was restored. And that's, that's the essence of, of reconciliation it has to start with a heart change like that. We have to, to have the, the full depth of what God has for us. We need our hearts changed. We need to be reconciled to our Father first. And then we can be reconciled to everybody else as well. And he goes on in, in verse 14. It says, he united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from these two groups. And so, the work of Jesus on the cross is is what does this. And it's, it's nothing that we can accomplish apart from that. But we're reconciled to God and to one another through what he did. That he made us into to one new people. And that's really what the church is. It's a new people that God has made. And and that's our our fourth point this morning, is that we we go from tolerance to unification. We experience unification in and through the church. Now, first is the third point, was that it's got to be through Christ directly. Like, if you try to find unification just through a church... That's not going to do it. It has to be through us personally having a relationship with God and having him change our heart, change our nature, give us his heart for people, give us his love, unify us with him. That's, that's the start. But then there's something that happens when he brings us into a church, into a, a church is a community of God. It's his people. It's a new people that he's made. And there's, there's something so powerful about that. I just want to keep reading, reading here, Ephesians 2.15. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles, by creating in Himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of His death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from Him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father Through Him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by His Spirit. And so, God, as it says in there, God has made one new man or a new body, which is the body of Christ on earth, which is His church. And there's no other group on this planet that has the ability to bring reconciliation as the church does. I mean, I'm thankful for everything that Black Lives Matters does. I'm thankful for everything that government laws do or anything else. But there's no other group on the earth that has the ability to change things like the church does. And that's played out in history. If you look at who have brought the greatest advances in reconciliation, it's been the people of God. You look at who it was that led to the ending of slavery in England. It was it was a group of people that that fought for 50 plus years to change the law and see that happen. If you look at what brought the end of slavery in the U.S., that was the abolitionists were were people because of their convictions from Scripture and their love for God that led to a love for people. That was what led the movement to bring things to a to a point where where it came to a point of crisis in the Civil War, and unfortunately, three-quarters of a million people died. But it was people of faith that pushed that forward. If you look at the Civil Rights Movement, that was people of faith. But almost all the, the leaders of that movement, there, before their name was Reverend. Reverend Martin Luther King, Jr., etc. It was people, because of their the Scriptures and their love of God, they understood this is not okay. And there is something God has called us to to. To engage, And the people who responded, it was believers all over the country who were largely involved in the, in the civil rights movement that brought major changes. And the same is true today. The people that have the greatest ability to bring change are the people of God. Um, this is, this is uh, the, the power of God in his people is, found, is, is what has the ability to change it. There's something also about why we experience unification in and through the church. And that's because the church is where we learn how to love people. The church is, is where you learn how to live in relationship with people who are different than you. And the, the ways to overcome racism are not really very different from the way that you learn to get along with that person who's got a really different personality than you. It's really the same type of stuff. And the beauty about a church is that God brings people together who never would have been friends otherwise. You know, if you look around this room, like I, most of you wouldn't have picked me. And Javon certainly would, have picked, would not have picked me. All right? it was like, no, that's not the guy I'm going to hang out with. You know, we, we naturally tend to, to cluster with people like us. But God, in his wisdom, he puts people in our life who are very different from us. And you find yourself, you may be an artistic person, and you find yourself like, the person God's got in your life is a jock. And you're like, I have tried to avoid meatheads my whole life. And now here, there's this relationship. and But you find out that it's the plan of God to get someone in your life who can bring things to the surface and help you learn to love someone different than you and get along. And there's stuff that you're, you grow into being, having the character of Christ through that relationship. And so... And it's interesting, this, this book of Ephesians, it lays out this, this master, beautiful, ultimate plan of God to bring everything in unity under Christ. The first three chapters are just some of the highest, most glorious language in all the Bible. And then chapter four, it goes into, all right, this is how we do it. Let's get rid of bitterness. Let's practice forgiveness. Let's be kind, compassionate, gracious, working together. Let's build a team. It's talking practically, this is how this happens. And these are the skills that we all need. And this is what God has intended for the, the church to be. And those are the very same things that it's the same it does, but the, to, to overcome differences between cultures. It's getting to know people who are different than you and listening to them and hearing their story and learning from what they bring to the table. And that is, it's in the church that that happens like, like no other place. Um, there's, in Ephesians chapter 3, Verse 10 and 11, Paul writes and he says that God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, and that word manifold, it literally means the many-colored wisdom of God. The multifaceted or literally many-colored wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God's up to something. And he's building a people, he's been building a people since the beginning of history that, re- that reflect who he is in the world. And that people, it's a, it's a many-colored people that reflects the multifaceted wisdom of God. Multifaceted, like a diamond that has many facets, and you hold it up to the light, and you can see different colors streaming through it. And there's, there's something beautiful. That's what the church is supposed to be, that in our diversity... In the different cultures and personalities, it shows the multifaceted, the multicolored wisdom of God that nothing else can demonstrate to the powers of darkness, like the church. And that's what God has called us to be. I, I've got some friends from South Africa, and they were, they were there during the 90s when apartheid was coming to an end. And this was a church that was about 50-50 black and white, which was very unusual, um, in South Africa. That's actually very unusual in America. Unfortunately, the church is... is the Sunday morning is sometimes called the most segregated hour in America, unfortunately. And thankfully, I, I'm so glad that's not really the case here. Although, man, we want to keep growing in that more and more. But in South Africa, this, this movement of churches, they were about 50-50 black-white. And one morning, Nelson Mandela, the now president of South Africa, walked into one of their church services... And he saw this, this crowd of a couple hundred people, a few hundred people worshiping God together. Black, white, one family. And he was just so moved. And he went up to one of the leaders and said, hey, can I, can I say a few words? And I'm like, well, you're the president. Yeah, you will, we'll let you have a few words here. And so, you know, the hero of our nation. So he came up to the front of the, the church and he said, what do you have right here? This is the answer. For South Africa. This is where it all comes together. And that is so true, and that's, that's the answer for the world. That what God brings about in, in changing lives and bringing us on a path of discipleship and growth and learning in relationship with one another, that's the answer to, to the problems of our world. You know, that, that's why it's really, we've got it really uh, embedded in the vision for Blue Month. If You look at our vision statement, is that our vision is to see a culturally and ethnically diverse growing church where people are continually coming to faith in Christ, maturing as disciples, influencing every area of Manhattan, K-State and Fort Riley and being sent out to affect culture all around them. But it's essential if we're going to be the church that we represent that multifaceted, multicolored aspect of who God is. Alright, so that's good stuff, right? That's kind of like, wow, man, it's big level thinking. I want to just give us a couple next steps to bring this home. Okay, how can I, how can I work this out? What's something I can do practically? I'm going to give you two, two next steps. Number one, ask someone of a different cultural background about challenges they've experienced. Find someone of a different cultural background than you and ask them about the, some of the challenges that were involved in that. You know, I, you'll probably be surprised. I heard Jenny Loya, who's a great friend. She's part of our, our called the Greatness Campus Ministry staff. I, I feel like I know her well. And about two months ago, or less than that, a month ago, she shared her testimony with a group group of people. And Jenny was born in Mexico, grew up in a largely Latino population or group in the Garden City area, and she told her story of like, yeah, I was I didn't really have I wasn't really around white people. And I had a lot of mistrust and suspicion. And when I started coming around Blumont, this was really new to me. I was like, really? Like, I had no idea. I, it was kind of uncomfortable, but I didn't realize that was going on at the time. And you know, talking to Javon, his story is like, oh my goodness. I didn't realize you know, how much of that was going on. And so it's really valuable. And James 1.19 says, everyone should be, be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger, and that's one of the great just relational things to practice. is to Be slow to speak, quick to hear, and slow to get angry, and listen to what people have to say, and it's amazing what that accomplishes. So, that's my challenge for you this week, is to have a conversation with someone from a different cultural background than you, if you want to do that. And the second next step, this is a little bigger, but this is a way of even going deeper, is to initiate a friendship with someone from a different ethnicity than you, and enter their world, all right? Initiate something with someone different than you, and see what you can do to enter their world. And, and like I said, this is a bigger one. Um, there are different ways you can do that. You can just you know, figure out a way to do it naturally. There's a, through helping international students, there's the American Friends program, where you can sign up to be an American friend to an international student, and get to know them. and enter their world, get to know their friends, go to their festivals, whatever. And it's it's really different when you enter their world. I'll tell you that. A couple weeks ago, I was at Javon Quinita's house. And it was like your housewarming party, I think. And they moved into a new house. And so there were a good number of people there. And I. but towards the end, people started to leave. And then I realized, oh, I'm the last white guy here. <laughs> and it was funny. How it was still their house, but the whole dynamic kind of changed. And it was like the conversation kind of changed, the, just the way, the way interactions happened was different. And I, I realized, you know, I thought, like I actually grew up as a kid. I lived in Taiwan where I was one of the few white people around a lot of times. I thought I was comfortable with this, but I, there was some level of like discomfort Like, oh, wait, this is, things are a little, not the same right now. And, I mean, it was good. I I loved it. But, it's just funny, especially speaking to us as, as Caucasians. Like, you got to be intentional. Because, you know, even if you're in a diverse group, the culture is still probably your dominant culture. It's still probably, the rules of engagement are still probably what you're used to. And, there's something so valuable about you being the minority and entering into that situation. So, If you really want to grow and be stretched, that's a great way to do it. All right, that's what I'm going to leave with us. This is kind of a different talk this morning, but this is so important. I'm so excited about what God is doing. This is something we're completely committed to and God is committed to, and it's exciting to be part of his solution that he has for our culture. We're going to go out with one more song of worship and really trusting God. To be working these things into our lives and doing in us what he wants to do in us. As a worship team, you can go ahead and come on up and the rest of us, let's stand up. I want to, as we do that, I want to read one more scripture that that talks about this. And how it's in it's in Christ that all this is made possible. In Ephesians four, verse six we're told that there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God and Father of all who's over all and through all and in all. So let's worship our one God and Father together and continue trusting Him to work this in us and through us.